Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show. It is Thursday, December the 10th, and coming up on the program, we're going to get a look inside what Massey Hall has in store for us when they reopen. They've been shut down for two years, and it sounds pretty exciting, and it's very hopeful where live music is concerned in the city. And we'll also talk to Mark and Mayor Frank Scarpetti, who has a really interesting idea that could keep York out of lockdown. But first, yesterday, the province announced that they will now allow um, restaurants to continue to offer booze for delivery when people take out food. That is, that's going to be permanent. After COVID ends and it's a distant memory, we'll still be allowed to get off sales. And I think the thing that makes people happy about this is, if they follow the same rules as British Columbia has when it comes to off sales from your restaurants or bars, then you can buy, you know, when the liquor stores close down. So you will be paying more, but the availability will be there. So if you really, you know, would like a bottle of wine and the LCBO is closed, you've missed the the timing, you could head to your local restaurant. You are going to be paying extra, but it's a good move. Here to talk about uh, the province's latest announcement, Jan Westcott, president and CEO of Spirits Canada and the Association of Canadian Distillers. Welcome to the show, Jan. Good to have you on again. Morning, Kelly. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, always great to be here. How do distillers feel about the announcement today? Because this isn't just about wine. I'd like to give uh, Doug Downey, the Attorney General, a tip. Uh, he has done a great job of bringing uh, Ontario uh, forward into modern times. He's made a number of uh, uh, policy uh, announcements and changes. All of them, all of them, are going to be great for consumers. You just mentioned um, that. So I think uh, the government clearly has its eyes on a couple of things. One is, how do we make things better for the consumer? That's always a winning strategy. And the second one is, how do we do this in a way that helps the parts of the business that really, really, really need the help? And that's the hospitality industry. So um, we're ecstatic. I think, uh, I think the government and, uh, and uh, Minister Downey have done an amazing job. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. I mean, the government has made a series of good decisions through the pandemic surrounding alcohol, keeping the liquor stores open, allowing bars and restaurants to sell uh, beverage alcohol with uh, takeout and delivery orders. Those have been very popular with the public. Um, I think the government has had tremendous kudos from people for that. So some of the things that they've done, I mean, Ontario is clearly leading Canada at this point. Uh, the ability for bars and restaurants to be able to uh, include uh, cocktails that they make on their premises is a fantastic uh, change. The first one in Canada to do that, uh, you know, let's be honest, in-store dining is closed. So this this adds a high margin product for bars and restaurants to sell. It brings in money that they desperately need. It, it certainly extends the franchise of their business. It keeps their brand alive with their consumers. And perhaps most importantly, it encourages these uh, establishments, bars and restaurants, to bring people like their bartenders back into the business. And it goes back to what they do best. They make products on their premises uh, uh, that, that they're very proud of. And, um, it, and it, it certainly it, it's one more way that, that a bar and a restaurant uh, can, di- can differentiate themselves from everybody else. So it's a fantastic move. I think it's going to prove extremely popular with consumers. Um, and as I said, uh, Ontario is now leading the country in sort of doing that. They've also, you know, uh, said that spirits can be sold in farmers markets, um, which makes perfect sense. We're part of the food chain. People use our products and, and consume our products 
uh, with meals and when they're eating. Um, and so to be to have spirits be able to be offered for sale where beer and wine has been available for a period of time, quite a period of time, is, is a very positive. I mean, I think... Jan, can I bringing... stop you for a second? Because I yeah. really want to know what that's going to look like. I can't be the only one. So I, I have a, a local... Uh, farmers market that opens up on, you know, in the summer and right through the end of harvest season in the, you know, the main area of, you know, the small downtown where I live. And a lot of towns have it. I, you know, even if you're a big city, you've got those. Um, so could we see a place like, I'm just going to pick, uh, Dylan's gin set up a little kiosk, a little, a little tent and start selling bottles of their product. Is that what this is going to look like? And, um, is there any worry about making sure that, you know, uh, people are, uh, you know, of appropriate age to buy alcohol? Is there going to be any, any roadblock in your way? I, I don't think so. I think, I think that's exactly what you're going to see. Uh, one of the things that it's going to provide is an opportunity for smaller producers, newer producers to get some uh, profile for their products, uh, in those, in those different farmers markets. You know, they're very well attended. They're, you know, I would say they're, uh, the consumers are pretty discerning, so it gives it, it. It's an opportunity to get that profile for their products and their company. So I, I think that's exactly what you're going to see. It will be up to obviously in individual companies will make decisions about where they go and what they offer and that. But I mean, let's be honest. They've been selling um, beer and wine at those farmers markets for what five, four or five years now, um, and so I think uh, people have figured out. Plus. Plus, uh, Mr. Downey and the uh, Alcohol and Gaming Commission have said, you know, that if you're going to do that, you have to be smart serve trained. We have probably the best uh, server training program in Canada, perhaps one of the better ones in the world. And so, you know, we already have systems in place to make sure that uh, the selling is done in a in a both in a legal and a very responsible way. Um, so I think we're well equipped to do that. And I think again, the benefit is going to go to the consumer. The benefit's certainly going to go to the businesses, but it, the benefit really is to the consumer because he's got more choice, he's got more, he or she has more choice, more convenience, and a better range of uh, opportunities to uh, go and look at these products. And we're thrilled that Spirits is, generally speaking, when the government has been looking at policy, it says, listen, alcohol is alcohol. Everybody should have the, everybody should have, uh, the same opportunity to uh, uh, be out there in front of the consumer. So... These are great. Uh, these are great changes. Jen, you brought up opportunity. Does the idea uh, this this new change in legislation, which allows eligible distillers to sell at farmers markets along with wine that's 100 percent Ontario grown, does this give the opportunity for those smaller distilleries that may not get noticed in like an LCBO uh, an opportunity to reach an, a new market? Absolutely, because not every manufacturer is going to go into every um, um, farmer's market. And, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm uh, a small distillery, let's say in eastern Ontario, I'm going to look at where the farmer's markets operate in eastern Ontario, and I'm going to target those. That's a much more uh, readily uh, ready opportunity for me than to, um, you know, try and access uh, the LCBO or um, other places. So I, I think for sure it's going to create opportunity that wasn't there before. And I actually think some of the farmers markets are going to start reaching out to some of the smaller distillers to say, "Hey, come and join us." They would like they would like to have a better range of products. They would like to see some of those things. There's a lot of uh, interesting innovation that's been going on amongst the small distillers. So I think yes, I think they will take advantage of it. I think we'll see it. It'll take a little bit of while to get up and running, but mm-hmm. for sure, 
uh, I, I would expect that um, uh, everyone, but particularly the smaller distillers like the Dillons of the world, although Dillons has gotten to be getting big now. now. Yeah, that's um, for sure. But I think for sure you're going to see them uh, take advantage of this um, uh, as we go forward. Jan, I really appreciate your time and congratulations. Don't forget, uh, before you go kissing people, just make sure you've got their consent. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thanks. Have a great day. Appreciate the opportunity. Bye-bye. Frank Scarpetti is joining us on the line right now. He's mayor of Markham. Frank, I know you've got a uh, city council meeting to get into, so I don't want to uh, keep you for too long. But I thought it was important to get you on to talk about something that you issued yesterday. It was a statement because the numbers in York are going up and there is fear that you guys will be heading into lockdown again. So um, you are asking the the residents of Markham and of York to continue on with public health guidelines, to wear the mask, to wash their hands, to socially distance. But you're also asking the province to consider if something different instead of putting you in lockdown, um, what measures have you been asking the province for instead of lockdown? Well, uh, and great to be with you again, Kelly. Uh, just just want to say that uh, first and foremost, uh, when you say adhere to the, the protocols and everything we've been telling the public to do, we actually had a call to action <clears throat> from the CEOs of the hospitals uh, on that very point. Uh, reminding people, uh, you know, if you're outside of your house, wear a mask. If you're dealing with someone outside of your household, physically distance. And and please, please don't hold social gatherings of any kind. And it's actually quite scary uh, that recent polls have revealed that 30 to 40 percent of Canadians surveyed intend to spend part of the holiday season with someone outside their their household. I just can't believe that they're, you know, the message has not gotten through. So um, this is the, this is about a measured approach. It's about really tackling where the problems are. And close to 50% of the cases in York Region come from close contact. That's family and friends. And and I appreciate uh, people are seeing the numbers rise, but you have to look at the whole, all of the indicators. So obviously, the concerning one right now is the fact that the hospitals indicated they're at a tipping point. And what that really means is, you know, the number of cases uh, are always something that we watch, but they're also looking after other people in the community, people who've had surgeries uh, put on hold for the past several months, people who need treatments. And the more demand there is on the hospitals, obviously, that impacts those people and impacts the health care they need to get. But again, it's about tackling the problem in the right place. So if if the province is considering a lockdown, uh, knowing that almost 50% of the cases come from close contact, saying, look, just at least for now, switch over the big box retailers and the shopping centers to curbside pickup. Let's continue to hone on the, where the problem is happening. And Kelly, it would be akin to, to sending your emergency vehicles to the wrong address and reassuring the public we're on it. Meanwhile, we're not. And, and so I want to make sure we're, we're mm-hmm. tackling this problem in the right place. We talked to the mayor, I think it was the mayor of Richmond Hill, who was saying that they were cracking down on uh, big box stores and their blitzes. And uh, they that was where one of the big problems are, is there were people overcrowding, people not socially distancing appropriately. So what you're proposing is that you switch the big box, re- big box retailers and shopping centers to curbside pickup only. As far as smaller retails, would they be able to then continue to operate by getting people into their stores but limiting the capacity? 
that that is part of the request that we only switch big box and shopping centers to curbside and let small businesses and restaurants continue to operate with the restrictions they have, which, by the way, uh, got tougher on restaurants and gyms uh, when we went into the, to the red zone, which I actually supported. I actually asked for that back in July to have different criteria for restaurants and gyms. So, yeah, they would continue to operate. And, and really, uh, you know, small businesses have been telling us, well, we're doing all that we're doing. And, and many of them have gone beyond the call of duty. And they look across the street and see what's happening in big box or in even some of the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And absolutely right. York Region has uh, ramped up their enforcement. I've called on that for the past month. We need to do that in fairness to the healthcare workers uh, to make sure that, that establishments are not overcrowding. They can let people in, but they can't overcrowd. They've got to make sure people have uh, two-meter distancing. So, uh, yeah, the enforcement has actually worked. We, we've ticketed a number of establishments over the past week and a half. I think, generally speaking, even places that weren't charged pulled up their socks because I've seen something in the last week or so I haven't seen in months. And that's lineups outside. And I'm not talking just big box. I'm talking about some of the grocery stores who really, I think all of us in one form or another, have become uh, complacent with the numbers going down. And you kind of get numb to some of the information and, and what's going on. And, and we can't get numb. We've got to stay on top of our game all the way through this into the better part of next year, actually. Frank, what are you hearing from the province on your idea to switch the big box retailers and shopping centers to curbside pickup only uh, instead of heading into a lockdown situation? So I haven't heard anything. And, and uh, you know, all I know is that the province is, is examining this closely. Uh, I know our medical officer of health has provided data to the chief medical officer of health at the province of Ontario. They've shared information back and forth. Uh, we've shared with them. It was actually a Markham company. I didn't know this till a regional council meeting a couple of weeks ago. That a Markham company, uh, Scarzen, who does projections, they use state-of-the-art technology to do modeling. They yeah, we've had them on the show before. Okay, good. So you know they they do great work, and they they determine right now with the data that they have uh, that a, a complete lockdown at this point would would not really gain us that much. And so I'm saying if there's this concern that the people think it's retail and restaurants, when, when really it's not, when, when they follow the rules. Now, if they break the rules and let too many people in, yes, that's a problem, but we're, we're enforcing. But if the province thinks they have to clamp down in any measure, uh, start with the big guys. Start with the ones that, that have the potential to bring a lot of people into an establishment. Don't don't hurt the little businesses who are already limited in many respects, and then they've got the further restrictions of ensuring that uh, they have to ensure people inside have two-meter distancing, which, again, cuts their capacity down quite a bit. Well, Frank, I love your idea. I think it's a great idea because e-commerce, we know that these big box stores pivoted very well at the beginning. Canadian Tire showed that they knew how to do this. I mean, their websites are comprehensive. Everything's listed. You can absolutely order online very simply with big box stores. So this is the way to go. I think you guys are on to something, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. So we'll we'll check in with you, of course, and other shows will as well as you uh, hear from the province. Good luck to you. Thanks, Kelly. Massey Hall is arguably one of the most important live music venues in the country. It's been closed for a multi-year facelift. 
for a couple of years now, and we're getting some news that a, uh, a major Toronto music complex is going to be part of this uh, new unveiling of Massey Hall when it's done. Allied Properties say they've struck an agreement to make the historic concert space the focal point for Allied Music Centre. It's a seven-story tall tower adjacent to the venue at Shooter in Victoria Street. We've all been there. We've all lined up outside Massey Hall in the cold or otherwise waiting to see our favorite bands. And um, it's going to look new, but it will also look familiar. So what exactly will that entail? We're joined now by Jesse Kumagai, who is president and CEO of the Corporation of Massey Hall and Roy Thompson Hall. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Good to have you on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Read this really interesting article, and I'm sure you've seen it, of course, about the what what we are looking forward to Massey Hall looking like in the future. Uh, for for me as a music lover and a live concert goer, I'm so happy about the fact that it'll be coming back bigger and better than ever. Can you tell us what's familiar, what's going to stay familiar with Massey Hall, and what's going to change? Absolutely. So let's start with the familiar. The uh... I think everybody's very, very emotionally attached to the, the the old auditorium. So we wanted to make sure that we weren't doing anything that was going to fundamentally alter the character of it. Our, our real hope when people come back is that they're going to walk into the room and say, you know, I really don't know what they did with the place, but it looks fantastic. Uh, you'll, I think what you'll see is that there's so many incredible architectural details in Massey Hall that have maybe fallen by the, the wayside a little bit over the, the course of its 126-year history. And so what we're doing is we're trying to bring a lot of those elements back and, and really showcase them. So people will uh, walk in and the, the room will feel fantastic, but you'll also be surrounded by uh, over 100 stained glass windows that have all been meticulously restored. The incredible plaster work on the ceiling has taken uh, many, many months to to, uh, to restore, but some incredible craftspeople have been working on it, and, and it's just absolutely stunning inside. There are a couple of things that are going to be a little bit different inside the auditorium. So, uh, for example, one thing that we are introducing, which is a very modern touch that nobody would have ever conceived of back in 1894, is a retractable seating system for the main floor. So... Uh, I think a lot of people out there will have been uh, to concerts at Massey over the years where uh, really nobody sat down for the entire show. There's just that much energy in the room. So uh, we're setting it up so that it can convert uh, to basically a GA floor for uh, for those high-energy shows, but the seats go right back into place for uh, a good old-fashioned traditional. Okay, uh, I need to stop you for a second because I want (laughs) to know how that's going to work. Is this going to be on some sort of uh, system where the seats will, like, drop into the floor and, you know, uh, it's covered over, or uh, are they physically taken out, removed, and taken to another place in Massey Hall? How does that, how is that going to work? Yeah, so there there are a number of systems out there. If we were building this from scratch, uh, we would have used an office solution. But Massey, obviously being uh, such a such a treasured uh, piece of architecture and and having such unique dimensions and, and circumstances, we had to go out and have a custom solution engineered. And it's it's really quite ingenious. Basically, the rows of seats. Uh, are all on steel bars that are lifted by the little robotic tractors and taken underneath the stage and deposited. So it's cool. uh, a, a little bit of an operation uh, watching it, but it's it's uh, we're, we're pretty excited about it. It should be fairly quick and seamless. Okay, that sounds amazing. What about the obstructed view seats? That's the main thing I've been... When I took a look at the, the photos, I'm like, well, there's still some poles and you need poles yeah. because it, it has to be structurally sound, but... Uh, have they been changed in any way? Because when you, once you got one of those obstructed view seats, uh, it was game over. 
Yeah. So, the, you know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. We, we spent a lot of time looking at it to try and figure out if there's anything we could do about those posts. And, you know, you're absolutely right. They are holding the building up. So they, they remain in place. We, we've done a few things to improve the, the sight lines inside the auditorium. So we relocated smiles. We've moved things around a little bit. Nothing that will fundamentally alter the character of the room, but done what we can to, to make some improvements. Um, I think the the reality is it's still a 126-year-old concert hall, so there, you know, we're, we're not going to have all of the luxury appointments that you'd find in something that was being built uh, brand new. But we've we've done a number of things to improve patron comfort and, and accessibility in the building. So everything from uh, adding adding padded seats to the gallery level where uh, people were accustomed to sitting on the, the hard wood uh, through to some of those, those other touches that I mentioned. And, and I think the accessibility piece is a really important one as well. Uh, we've now installed an elevator, uh, or actually two uh, large elevators in the, the new addition that will be able to bring people up to the second and third uh, uh, balconies with, with ease. And that's something that we were never able to do before. You've changed the bars as well, haven't you? Well, we've we've not only changed the uh, the existing basement bar to expand it dramatically, add a new stage in it, so we'll be uh, a, a real hot spot for post-show concerts, uh, people who want to keep the evening going after the main attraction is done. Uh, but we've also added new bars and washrooms on the second and third floors. So for anybody who uh, remembers climbing down, uh, I think it was about seven flights of stairs to get from the gallery to the basement so that you could get a drink and go to the washroom, uh, we've significantly shortened that trip. Uh, you'll get there through these external glass uh, corridors that link the Heritage Auditorium to the new building. So we've got these spacious new bars, a lot more washrooms. So, you know, one of the real, real uh, points of friction for the old hall, uh, just in terms of being able to take care of yourself at intermission, uh, has mm-hmm. been significantly improved. All right. I have to stop you for a second and ask you about this because you did bring up the fact that the bar will have uh, a stage in it downstairs mm-hmm. so that you could continue on with after hours shows. Now, one of the problems with Massey Hall that people have argued for years is if you don't get there in time, like they got a hard cutoff date because of IATSE mm-hmm. and union rules. What happens? Like, do you have different um, workers at, for the shows in the basement? Are they not union stagehands? What's the deal? How can you have uh, after hours shows? Well, I think there's a, a, a lot of mythology out there in the world about the way that, that we operate. And, and generally speaking, we do try to wrap up the, the shows in the main auditorium by 11 o'clock. But there's nothing preventing us from going later in the, in the evening in, in the other spaces in the building. Okay. So that's, uh, that's not true that you'd have to pay people more? Well, well, we'll be paying all kinds of people. This is uh, one of the great impacts of the, the project is, uh, you know, the, the number of people that contribute to putting a show on. And I'll say this, you know, everybody has been so significantly impacted throughout the pandemic in this community, from artists to all the suppliers, everybody who works on a show, including all the stagehands and engineers. So we're, we're excited about actually being able to pay mm-hmm. people coming out the other side of this. Okay, so let's talk about what's new at Massey Hall, because it sounds pretty exciting. Um, I mean, you have touched on things that are new, but what is an, in addition to the Massey Hall space? Well, one of the, the really important things that I think we should talk about today is what's being made possible as a result of Allied coming in and expanding the, the scope of the project. So 
when you look at the new addition that we have uh, to the south of Massey Hall, in there you'll find new performance venues. So we have a fantastic 500 capacity club on the fourth floor that has uh, magnificent floor to ceiling windows so that you can get a great view of the city. Uh, it's going to be one of the very first installations of uh, what's known as an immersive audio system, which is sort of the next generation of, of uh, digitally controlled sound systems for live venues that uh, basically delivers pristine sound no matter where you are in the venue. So we've got that along with fantastic sight lines and turnkey content capture, which is another feature that is going to be uh, tied to every performance space inside the facility. And it allows us to record and film uh, the performances from, from all these different spaces for broadcast or streaming or uh, whatever the artist needs coming out of it. Uh, in addition to that fourth floor club, we have a brand new theater being built on the sixth floor. Uh, it's a little bit smaller. It'll hold about 100 people, but it's a really important piece of impact for the, the, uh, the music community. We think it's going to be great for showcasing emerging artists. It's also going to be fantastic for panel discussions, lectures, artist interviews, things along those lines. And we know that there's going to be incredible demand from grassroots uh, arts organizations to use the space as well. And we talked a little bit about the basement bar, but it, it too, full professional stage and lighting and, and all set and ready to, uh, to welcome people, even when Massey's not in use, uh, we'll be able to have shows down there. So I can't the, wait to get a look at this because this, this to me is 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 heralding that that the music industry and the uh, live music spaces in in Toronto are not going anywhere. They're just going to move into the future, and that's some great news. Well, it, it's such a, an important point to touch on because uh, what we've seen over the course of the last nine months has been absolutely devastating for the community. I believe Toronto has lost more than a dozen live music venues since the pandemic started, and and they were already in, in, under threat. Uh, before we, we reached that point. So the ability for us to partner with Allied and be in a position to bring three brand new uh, live music venues in addition to Massey Hall back online, uh, you know, it, it felt like it was an important addition to the, the cultural ecosystem before the pandemic hit, but the impact just feels exponentially more important now. Jesse, before I let you go, I want to talk about what's uh, going on on social media. People are freaking out um, about the, the possibility of a new name. They're talking about the name Allied Music Center. Is, is the name of Massey Hall changing or is that just the name for the broader complex? Can you clarify here on the show? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. And, and we knew that this was something that was going to be very sensitive to any fan of Massey Hall. And so I can reassure absolutely everybody, Massey Hall is and forever shall be Massey Hall. We are not changing the names of uh, the, the classic old, uh, old venue. Uh, but what we, we recognized was that this is now more than just Massey Hall with these three new additional venues, plus some dedicated spaces for artists and music education. We are really are becoming a, a true arts hub here and we wanted to be able to convey that to to the public and so that's why we're putting it all under the umbrella of the the allied music center which is uh, uh representing all of those component elements jesse i want to thank you for your time it's pretty exciting stuff and uh it's been kind of cool taking a a little bit of an uh virtual tour with you via uh, you know just our conversation but i can't wait to see massey hall when it's done well, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I'd encourage everybody to go to alliedmusiccenter.com to have a look at some fantastic photos of the, the restoration in progress, as well as a number of renderings of the new spaces moving forward. And, and dare I say, you might even have the opportunity to help support the project. 
Amazing. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Don't forget, we upload a podcast on a daily basis. All you have to do is hit subscribe wherever you download your favorite podcasts, and we will be waiting for you.